From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Years ago, when we first started Straight Talk, a guest told me she didn't think we'd see an I-5 bridge replacement in our lifetime. And it started to seem that way. That's because in 2013, hopes were dashed for people who wanted to see a new bridge when Washington state lawmakers refused to fund what was called the Columbia River Crossing. That project was scrapped. Now there's a new push by what's called the Interstate Bridge Replacement Program, an organization representing both states. We could see construction by mid-2025. The project's program administrator, Greg Johnson, joins us with more on the plan. And later in our second segment, Portland economist Joe Courtright, a skeptic of the bridge plan, will join us with his concerns. First, welcome to my guest, Greg Johnson. In his role as program administrator of the Interstate Bridge Replacement Program, Johnson represents both Oregon and Washington's departments of transportation. He's also a licensed professional engineer himself and was the deputy director of the Michigan Department of Transportation. Greg, welcome to Straight Talk. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Laurel. Well, first, help us understand the importance of the I-5 bridge and why you are so passionate about this project and getting it across the finish line this time. So, Laurel, this, this um, bridge carries over $70 million worth of, of goods every day. It is an important um, regional and national um, asset. And the, the local impact that it has on the local economy is, is just tremendously important. It connects two vital ports and the jobs that are generated there, as well as other um, surrounding jobs in the community, getting folks back and forth to those jobs. So this is a tremendously important bridge. And once again, it's 104 years old and we need to make sure that um, the future economic well-being of this area is taken into account. And here are some stats from the Interstate Bridge Replacement Program provided to us. I-5 is the most important freight highway on the West Coast. 13,500 trucks cross the Interstate Bridge daily in 2019. 143,000 vehicles cross the Interstate Bridge every weekday in 2019. I-5 at the Interstate Bridge is identified as one of the region's top bottlenecks with seven to 10 hours of congestion during morning and evening commutes. And Greg, beyond that, both spans of the bridge are considered functionally obsolete. What does that mean exactly? And what would happen to the bridge in a major earthquake? So Laurel, there are several things that put a bridge into that category of functionally obsolete. This bridge has no safety shoulders. Um, the lanes are narrower. Um, the, the ramps that um, extend right off of the bridge are short and cause a number of accidents. So in other words, this bridge is, is outmoded technology. And once again, that is one of the key reasons why it needs to be replaced. And what about if an earthquake were to hit? So this bridge, um, when, when both bridges were built, one is 104 years old, the other is over 60 years old. The earthquake um, standards were not nearly what they are today, not nearly as robust. This bridge sits on wood piles and silty soils that in an earthquake, these soils will 
liquefy and basically cause the bridge to move or shift. Now, we don't know uh, what size of earthquake may come, but we do know that any movement or shifting in any way of this type of bridge will not serve the, the long lasting nature of bridge as well. So this is a bridge that is in danger of possibly um, being damaged beyond repair in an earthquake. And in 2013, I mentioned this at the top of the show, Greg, the Columbia River Crossing project was scrapped when Washington lawmakers refused to pay for their share. What, what's different this time? So this time, the governors came together as well as the state legislatures came together and committed to getting this project um, across the finish line. So we have a bi-state legislative body that oversees our work and oversees our, um, the things that we are doing. So we, we meet with them on a regular basis to keep them up to speed. So there will be no surprises. We also have a, a strong focus on equity as well as climate on, on this IBR program. So we are, we are talking to the community in a robust way. We have spoken with um, or had comments from over 10,000 people um, in the uh, nine months that our website has been up and running. We have um, over 15,000 comments that have come to us that we are that we have or are addressing to folks who are um, curious about what's going on with the bridge and making their voice heard. So this is a very robust effort to have the community be an active partner in this program. Well, another big component, of course, is cost and how much the feds might contribute. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg visited the Eugene area last month, and I had the chance to ask him about whether the new infrastructure legislation would fund replacement of the I-5 bridge, and here's what he told me. But it's certainly the, the kind of thing we have in mind when we talk about repairing and improving America's aging infrastructure. So no guarantees. He didn't say any guarantees there. It might be the type of project they would fund. And even if the feds do kick in some money, it's a big project, likely won't cover the whole cost. Many folks are concerned about the possibility of tolls. And our guest coming up in the next segment says it would likely be a round trip toll of about $5. What can you tell us about tolls? So no tolling decision has been made yet. This program will not uh, make that decision. That's going to be made at pay grades much higher than mine. But projects of this size across the United States have traditionally been paid for in part by tolls. These, these type of projects are too big for um, individual DOTs to absorb um, from their annual allocations. So once again, tolling is a, is a way to, um, to pay directly for the use of infrastructure. But we also recognize the impacts as far as equity, um, low income folks who must travel the bridge to get to work. So we are looking at a number of different best practices around the country and around the world that can address the equity issue um, that comes along with tolling. So tolling uh, price is still undetermined. Let's talk about another real sticking point in the past has been the inclusion of light rail. A lot of folks in the Vancouver area didn't want it last time. Will this project include light rail? So 
we are committed to looking at high capacity transit. And right now, high capacity transit is defined as either um, bus rapid transit or light rail or a combination thereof. So we are, we are looking at a number of different options uh, for high capacity transit going across the river. The, the key issue is we have to give folks alternatives uh, for single occupancy vehicle trips. That's one of the things that causes the, the congestion in this corridor. If we can get folks um, into um, a high capacity transit mode rather than a single occupancy vehicle trip, that in itself will help resolve some of the safety and congestion issues that we see every day on this, on this bridge. Greg, you, you mentioned earlier the community engagement project, the report there puts an emphasis on equity. And, and this is interesting, you have lived experience with this equity piece. As a child, your family was displaced by a highway project in Michigan. How has that informed your commitment to equity on this I-5 bridge replacement project? So, so Laura, when, when this happened to my family, I was four years old and, and as a kid, I thought it was kind of cool to move three times in a year and a half before we finally settled into uh, to the place where I'd ultimately grow up. So my father told me the story numerous times as I was older and old enough to understand. And he, he spoke of his frustrations of not being involved in, in any of the decision-making or, or having input into anything. And I have, um, I have spent my career making sure that folks who who are impacted by projects like this are have their voices heard and make sure that they are a part of the process. And this went on in the early days of, of um, freeway construction or large roadway expansions all over the US. There are examples across the country of where um, communities without a voice were, um, were not taken into account and their ability to impact decisions was very limited. So my career has been about making sure those voices get heard in the conversation. We have just about a minute left in this segment, but what's your timeline look like? When could we see a design and construction begin? So we are still in the environmental and planning phase of this project. So next spring, we're hoping to have the IBR solution um, out in the public so folks can react to it. And we're hoping to get the approval to move that forward to, um, to our federal partners to begin the, the completion of the environmental process. So we're looking at 2024 to actually be in design with construction slated to start sometime late in 2025. So we'll be hearing a lot more about this project in the years to come. Greg, thank you. Stand by. Uh, we're going to talk to you more in the next segment. There are critics of the replacement plan, one of them being economist Joe Courtright. He joins us next to explain his concerns. We're back in two minutes.
Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about the plan to replace the I-5 bridge between Portland and Vancouver. The plan has its critics, including Portland economist Joe Courtright. He joins us now to tell us why he's skeptical of the project, and we welcome back the project's program administrator, Greg Johnson, to address some of those concerns. Welcome, gentlemen. Just a pleasure to have both of you here. Great to be here. Joe, first, you have criticized the name of the plan, the I-5 Bridge Replacement Program. Why? What's wrong with that? Well, Laurel, your program's called Straight Talk, and I think that's the thing that we really deserve when we, when we hear about big projects like this, and we're not getting it. You know, they call it the quote-unquote bridge replacement project, but it's really considerably larger than that. It's really a five-mile-long freeway. It's 12 lanes wide. It's going to cost um, five, it's going to be uh, Five billion dollars, and it's going to require uh, tolls, round-trip tolls, according to ODOT's own estimates, of about five dollars for that round trip. So it's a very big project and a very expensive project. Well, Greg, let me let you respond to that. Is this just a massive freeway project with big tolls that's being misrepresented by its name? So it is not. the The key aspect is the replacement of the bridge. But you cannot just plop a bridge down in the middle of a corridor where you have not taken care of the other issues. The, the interchanges in this um, stretch are too closely spaced. We have to deal with that issue because that's one of the drivers of congestion and safety issues in this corridor. Joe, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I think one of the things that's really clear is that, and again, Greg didn't, didn't dispute this, they're going to have to charge a toll to pay for this. That's what their financial plans say. Uh, and the tolling would raise about a third of the cost. And incidentally, the bridge part of it is roughly a third of the cost. Uh, and it really is a 12-lane 12, 12 wide freeway. But the point is, when we start charging those tolls, that uh, what's going to have to be about a $5 round-trip toll, again, according to ODOT's own numbers, um, that's going to dramatically reduce traffic on the I-5 bridge and, according to ODOT's own estimates, produce gridlock on the I-205 bridge, which won't be told. Will you uh, describe that some more? I know there was an Oregonian article that you uh, pulled up and, and sent to us uh, talking about how this might move gridlock eastward onto the 205. Can you tell us a little bit more about that impact? Sure. Um, they worked on the on this project for for about eight years from 2005 through 2013 and always kicked the can down the road on these tough financial questions but finally in 2013 they hired a consultant called cdm smith to look at the hard numbers on how tolling would affect traffic and so this was odot's consultant this isn't something that i made up um, and they looked at it and they said well if we toll i5 but then don't charge a toll on i205 we'll get dramatically less traffic on I-5, in fact, a lot less traffic than we have today. And meanwhile, we'll have gridlock conditions on I-205. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, if you're driving, you're gonna choose the route that, you know, costs you the least. Um, but the point is, we'll have spent several billion dollars on a massive freeway there that fewer people will be using than are using today. And Greg, do you wanna to respond to that? Will this just move congestion to I-205? So, what Joe is not taking into account, and Joe is aware that Oregon is looking at um, congestion pricing on both the I-205 and the I-5 corridor. So he does not take that into account in his analysis. But once again, the issue here is we have a 104-year-old bridge that 
is in danger of failing during an earthquake event. And Joe is advocating basically do nothing and it will take care of itself. And that's just not so. So what about well, what about that, Joe? Do nothing. What, what do you want to see? Do you want to see nothing happen? Oh, absolutely not. In fact, you know, we have a lot of bridges in the region that are all seismically vulnerable, and these aren't aren't the only ones. And it makes a lot of sense to make sure that we have a seismically robust system. Um, when the planning was originally done for the CRC more than a decade ago, um, they looked at the cost of seismically retrofitting the existing bridges and found that it was about in the same ballpark, 100 to $200 million, as the cost that it'll, it'll take them to demolish those bridges. So we have a lot of options, but I guess the point is, you know, if, if as Greg says, we're gonna do this congestion pricing, one of the things we know is if we do tolling or congestion pricing, that will dramatically reduce traffic on both bridges. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to spend $5 billion on a whole bunch of capacity if we're then also gonna toll it, which is gonna dramatically reduce the number of people crossing the bridges. And in fact, the evidence from around the country is if you have a toll, even a modest toll, much less than they're gonna to have to charge for this project, it will dramatically improve traffic flow. So it then decide whether we need to expand capacity or fix bridges. Uh, Joe, I want to follow up on that. Uh, we just had a little bit of a blip in your audio, but you had mentioned to me a particular bridge where they, they uh, built this new bridge and what happened there. Can you tell us about that? We're going to go to you, Greg, because uh, we're having a problem with the audio with Joe. So uh, let me follow up. Do you want to follow up on what Joe was saying until we can straighten up uh, his audio? So, so I'm familiar with the example that Joe cites. This is the 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 bridge that was expanded in Louisville crossing the Ohio River. And what Joe neglects to tell in his story is that there are 34 lanes of, of traffic that cross the Ohio River in the Louisville metropolitan area. Here we have 14 lanes for almost twice the population. So Joe's comparison is, is not apples to apples. It may be apples to coconuts, but it is not a accurate depiction of what's going on here. Well, I want to, while we're waiting to get Joe back, I want to dig into a little bit more of something we didn't get into as much in the first segment about climate change, because it is important to so many people. Can you tell us how this project that you're working on will address climate change? Because with, with that many lanes of traffic, it does seem like it will just be adding more carbon emissions. So if, if you look at what, what Joe is advocating for, he's advocating for basically doing nothing. He says uh, he's not, that's not what he's advocating. But once again, doing nothing is already costing the environment. If you look at the, the congestion that's out there now, and Joe is making projections about how traffic will significantly decrease, and that is not accurate. So. Climate is an issue that we have been focused on. We have, we have a principal climate officer who is looking at everything that we do and making sure that we are doing smart things that are going to improve and reduce greenhouse gas production in whatever um, ends up getting built out across the Columbia River. 
Thank you, Greg. Joe, we have you back. I don't know if you're able to hear what Greg was talking about. We were talking more about climate change and what this project yeah. will do to carbon emissions. Would you address that for us and some of the other things that we might have missed while you were gone? Sure. So, you know, climate change in Oregon are, are the leading source of greenhouse gases in Oregon is driving. And it's the fastest growing source of greenhouse gases as well. And we know uh, that building more road capacity induces more demand, more travel, more trips, and more greenhouse gas pollution. So if we're really serious about doing something about climate change and avoiding the utter disasters that we've seen with forest fires and other dislocations, we have to take a different course than we've been taking for 50 years by building more and more freeways. And that's why uh, radically expanding the capacity here and spending literally billions of dollars to build more freeways is the wrong thing to be doing if we're at all about ser all serious about climate change. Greg, what do you think about that? Well, once again, doing nothing will just exacerbate the problem. The cars are there. There is the, a demand to cross this river for folks who, who live on one side and work on the other. And there are attractions on each side that help support the economy of each of these communities. So um, basically, Joel is saying that, well, this is going to go away. It's not. And if we do smart things, if we look at the technology that's coming in vehicles, the electrification of fleets, that is one of the key things that will help um, move the needle on greenhouse gas production. And once again, this is a five-mile corridor in a network of, of decisions and roadways. We are, we are not the ultimate solution. We are part of this solution, but we are not the ultimate solution of, of the climate circumstances that are here. Joe? Yeah, again, this is, this is $5 billion. That's a big chunk of money. We could do a lot with that to fix our transportation system. And, and I think we, you know, we can make traffic flow much better on the I-5 and I-205 bridges if we did congestion pricing. We could do it at much lower cost and the cost to road users would be much lower. But what ODOT is really proposing to do is borrow billions and billions of dollars, build a gigantic freeway project and hope that we generate enough revenue to pay it back. Uh, and when we do that, we'll have more traffic, more carbon emissions, and, and big debts to repay. So it's, it's a really wrong way to be going, again, if we're serious about climate change and about traffic. And Joe, I can give you about 45 seconds to wrap up. Sorry, Greg, I'll give you about 45 seconds after Joe's final thought here. Sure. So, you know, anybody who's been around Portland for a long time knows that, that ODOT has been talking about this project. And a decade ago, after spending $200 million on staff and consultants, um, they kicked the can down the road on the basic questions of how much it would cost and who would pay. And again, they're doing the same thing. They've already spent another $40 million on, on trying to revive this project. And as you heard Mr. Johnson earlier, he's not really clear about what the tolling is going to be or how it's going to be paid for. So, you know, as, as citizens and, and as the Straight Talk program title suggests, we should be getting straight answers to these very basic questions about this project. And Greg, I can give you about 45 seconds to a minute to wrap things up for us. And those are the answers that the program is working on. There, there are certain things that Joe and I agree on. As a matter of fact, when I first came to town, one of the first folks that I spoke with was Joe Courtright. And I wanted to understand his 
his concerns and his ideas. But this whole idea of just leave the bridge and it will magically heal itself is just wrong-headed thinking. So we have a challenge in front of us, and it's a challenge that will be that we cannot pass on to another generation of folks. We've got to get this done and we've got to get it done right. We're listening to the community and the community says, let's get this thing replaced. And if they want to make comments, they can, uh, where can they send their comments? So our, our website is um, www.interstatebridge.org. And once again, we, we have received 15,000 comments. Folks are interested in this and they want to see this thing get wrapped up and move forward. Well, thank you both to Greg Johnson and Joe Courtright for being here. If you'd like to read more about the bridge replacement plans or read more about Joe Courtright's concerns, I'll include links in this story on KGW.com. And we thank you for joining us. Remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Just search for KGW Straight Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week for Straight Talk.